overworking, and that means working 50, 60 hours a week on a regular basis, is not correlated with early death. It causes early death. That's number one. And number two, the people who work longer hours, those excessive hours of 50, say 60 hours a week, experience for the most part an increase in salary of only about 6%. show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about the importance of doing nothing. Yes, in a world where we're constantly looking for ways to cut corners and get more energy and be more productive and chase more perfection, a little bit of nothing could go a long way in helping us become happier, wealthier, and more successful. To make the case for doing nothing, I've invited Celeste Headley on the show today. Celeste is an internationally recognized journalist and radio host, professional speaker, and author of Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. If you're a public radio fan like I am, then you may remember her from her 20-year career anchoring programs like Tell Me More, Talk of the Nation, Here and Now, All Things Considered, and Weekend Edition. When she's not helping the overworked find more joy in life, she enjoys walks with her rescue dog, Samus, and entertaining friends with great themed parties. Welcome to the show, Celeste. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great intro. Thank you very much. Well, you've done some incredible things. I'm glad to have you here. Now, there are a lot of parents out there, Celeste, who are feeling overwhelmed with work, overwhelmed with parenting and life. How can doing nothing help with that? The feeling that we get when we start like just piling on and we find all these productivity tools to help us make better lists and put notifications in our phone at this time of the day, it's going to remind me to work out. We do all this stuff to try to help us get more done. And I know it feels like they're helping, but the research just doesn't back it up. So when you talk about how does it help us to do nothing, it's just that it helps us get so much more done than what we're currently doing. (laughs) Like what we're doing right now is moving us absolutely in the other direction. You and I were joking before the top of the show, you released this book in March of 2020. Then there's a little something that happened for most of us in March of 2020 last year. I know my life was flipped upside down with the pandemic, especially as a parent. Have you seen the hustle culture change for the better since the pandemic or is it still alive and well? It's hard to say. I mean, I, I'm all about data. Like, we don't have data to back up that it's changed. But I will say that many of the, the trends that we're seeing tend to suggest that even if it hasn't changed yet, people are beginning to resist it, to become aware that it's toxic and push back. And I'm referring, like, lately we've heard a lot about quiet quitting, which is a complete misnomer. What we're talking about is people who are just establishing health, healthy work-life life balances. And and because that's not what we've been doing, where we answer emails at 9 p.m. on Friday and and put, put, you know, put messages into Slack on Sunday morning, because we have been working during all of our waking hours, not doing that. People think like, oh, they don't care about this job anymore. No, that's healthy work life balance. But the fact that that's even coming up as a subject tends to make me believe that people are have had enough or they've at least realized that it's toxic and it's not sustainable. I've especially seen this in younger people who absolutely do not buy the whole line of your value as a human being depends on how hard you work. So they're not buying it and they're looking for other solutions. 
I understand that. You know, I'm a big fan of U.S. history. I like listening to podcasts about U.S. history, reading about it. You do some great research in your book, and it talks a lot about how this wasn't always the way our society carried on. Work harder to get more success. Can you talk a little bit about that history that we've had as our country or just as civilization in general and maybe what the changes were that made us go this way? Sure. I mean, when I first started looking for answers, and it was because my life was in an unsustainable place because I was overworked and overwhelmed. When I started searching for the source of all of this, I assumed it was going to be our technology. But when I realized the tech only allows us to, to indulge our our productivity habits more, and it's not actually the source, that's when I started peeling back the onion in terms of history. And what became abundantly clear when you look at the working habits of human beings throughout the centuries is that human beings lived a certain way for most of 300,000 years where we would have cycles of hard work and then rest. We'd take in the harvest and then you'd have a week-long or two-week-long harvest festival, right? People didn't spend an afternoon celebrating a wedding. They'd spend a week. And then when the Industrial Revolution came along, and we were able to build things like factories and mass production, it changed everything. And I mean everything. It changed the way we raise our children. It changed where we live. It changed what we eat. It changed everything. And to some extent, look, we're talking about 250 to 300 years ago. That was a long time ago. But really, historically, that's a blink in the eye. That is very recent, which means all of these changes that we made Maybe we can view them as an experiment (laughs) that failed and we can change it back. In the future, I'm hopeful that these technological changes that we have, we can use as an advancement for society as a whole that will allow us to maybe use more of our time for relaxation. Do you see that as a possibility (laughs) for us in the future? I mean, it's already a possibility and we're not doing it. I mean, look at it this way. Think about... Even as parents, think about all of the things that took so much more time 50, 75 years ago before we had, everyone had washing machines, before everyone had dishwashers, before we had all this tech like the baby monitors and all the other things that we have that help support us. And yet, instead of allowing that to make things easier for us and and help us to work less, we simply added on more things. (laughs) We simply raised the bar even higher of what it means to be a good parent and a great parent. So, so, and it's the same thing that's true in our work life. I mean, look at, let's talk about an an accountant in 1972, right? And it took him, because it was probably a him, 40 hours a week to get that job done. That job that that accountant did in 72 could probably now be done in like five or six hours, So why is that accountant still sitting at his desk now, not for 40 hours, but for 50 or 60 hours per week? Yeah, we have not used the tech in a way that makes our lives easier and healthier. We haven't. I understand this personally affected you in your life, this hustle culture, the do more, especially as a parent. Can you talk to us a little bit about your personal experience with this? Yeah, I, you know, I was a single mother for and have been for most of my adult life. And, uh, you know, I, I remember one point I, I was bound and determined that my son was not going to suffer for having only the one parent. And we're estranged from my family. So really, it was just my son and me. And I was like, 
he's not going to suffer for this. He's going to get to do all the things and have all the enrichment that every, every kid should have. And I would schedule the heck out of him. I mean, he not only did his, you know, extracurriculars or whatever, his sports and his clubs and all that other stuff, but every weekend, often the evenings after he'd get home from school and I'd be dragging my butt because I was tired from work. And I'd be like, right, there's an IMAX movie on roller coasters at the Science Center. Here we go. <laughs> and there's a safari camp at the zoo. Here we go. And one weekend, I think it was when he was maybe in like third grade, you know, because kids would always be like, oh, we're not doing anything. Let's go do something. I'm bored. Right. So one weekend, I'm doing all of this for him. I don't want, you know, I want him to have fun. And I said, okay, get in the car. I've got it packed. We're going to have a picnic on the beach. And he's like, can we, can we just stay inside this weekend? Can we just not do anything? I just want to sit down and play my video games. And I, it was a really aha moment for me because number one, he looked miserable it had taken him a lot to say this to me, like he didn't want to hurt my feelings. And he looked really unhappy. And I thought to myself, I'm doing this for him. <laughs> like, where's the disconnect here? And it just occurred to me that, you know, when you're having special experiences all the time, they're not special <laughs> anymore. They're just experiences. You need to give someone's brain time to relax and reflect in order to really get the, the, the most out of any particular moment or any experience. And I wasn't allowing that time. Well, it's a good epiphany moment. I think a lot of parents listening could appreciate that. I think I was just having a conversation with a father last night who was feeling this. He said, my daughter gets up early. She does her swimming before high school because she's part of the swimming team. Then she goes to high school all day. And then they have afternoon practice as well. And then she's a part of the marching band. And uh, she's not going to get home until like 7.30. And he was very concerned. He's like, what am I doing? Or what are we doing? And no judgment or anything. I was just listening. It was, it was very... Interesting to hear, but I know a lot of parents feel the same. We want to get the most out of our lives for our kids and give them the best experiences, but is there too much? And it sounds like you found that. What were some of the first steps that you took to kind of break free from that? I work for NPR. So the first thing I did was hit the books, right? I wanted to see if this was my experience or this was a common experience. And that led me to all the research that we have on helicopter parenting, which is something that has arisen over the past, say, 20 years. And it's incredibly detrimental to childhood development, <laughs> like incredibly detrimental. And helicopter parenting doesn't just have to mean those parents who like argue over every grade. Sometimes it means you're always present organizing and scheduling and you are building a resume rather than a human being. So that was the first thing that I did. What I did for him was exactly what I did for myself, which means I, I asked, I guided him through an exercise to figure out what his priorities are. What do you, how do you want to spend your day? Like if you're, if you wake up at this time and you go to bed at this time, it leaves you this many hours per day on the weekends, this is your free time. On the weekdays, because of school, this is your free time. That means you have this amount of time open when you're not eating with me or you know doing other things. And it's almost always a very short period of time. And then I say to him, what do you want to do in that time? What's your, your ideal way to spend that time? And, and frankly, this is also what adults have to do. So instead of trying to like treating our lives like caulk where we're just smashing in to fill every hole we should be more intentional about it be aware of how little 
like uncommitted time you have in your day and then ask yourself, do I want to spend two and a half hours on Facebook? Is that what I want to do with that time? Or what are the things would I like to do? And he just sort of created a list. These are the things I want to do in my free time. And so each day when he got done with his homework and he wasn't eating, I'd be like, okay, what do you want to do? And he would, he would do that. And sometimes there were things that he did with me. You know, he did enjoy going to the science center and concerts and the beach and stuff, but not always. That, those weren't always his priorities. And then how about you, Celeste? How did this change things for you with your work? Obviously, you have, uh, as you said, a good intro at the beginning. You got a lot of things going on. How did this make a change for you with your career? And how did it not affect your, your trajectory of where you are today? Honestly, my trajectory is much healthier than it was before. I get things done in a much shorter amount of time. I have exponentially more free time to just screw around and do nothing. And I do. And my career is stronger than ever. I am able to ask for much higher (laughs) fees for most of the services I supply. It hasn't, that fear I had that not working all the time would suddenly make my value go lower. That's based on this indoctrination we've all had that our value is entirely dependent on how hard we work. That's not true. And when you realize that, when you decouple your value from your work, the hours you spend working, it changes your entire perspective on life. You know, if I am exhausted, there was a couple days when I had some free time, like I had nothing planned during the day. And that occurs every once in a while, you know, when you're self-employed. Some days are going to be overbooked and some you'll be like, oh my God, how did I end up with a free day? And I was really tired. And my initial instinct was like, okay, there's a bunch of stuff that's been waiting. I can get a lot of stuff done today. But I was too tired. And so I did absolutely nothing for two days in a row. I did nothing. I did the bare minimum. I made myself food. I took out the trash, took care of the dog. And that was pretty much it. Now, our fear always is that if we give in to those impulses, that somehow we're going to end up wearing sweatpants with Dorito powder all over (laughs) us, you know, lazy on the couch. That's not true. That's just your body sending you signals that it needs to rest. Because when those two days were over, I got up and I was refreshed, like really refreshed and able to jump back into things. You know, we, we have all these fears that I, I, what I discovered as I moved through these exercises that I laid out in the book was that the fears are unfounded. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high quality meats. And now we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, AKA the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you. (laughs) 
let's talk about what your work week looks like right now. I mean, we talk about the typical 40 hours, you know, some people stretch that to 60, 80, whatever. It's crazy. What does your ideal work week look like now? And on top of that, where do you think people should move towards? So we know that the the average human being only really has a limited amount of focus work every day, and it's somewhere around four hours, three and a half to four hours or so. That's, as far as we know, always been true. Even people like Charles Dickens, Henri Poincaré, some of the most, Charles Darwin, like some of the most productive and accomplished people that we know worked about four hours a day. So that time for me is in the morning. That's when I get my best focus time. So I walk my dog for like at least an hour, if not an hour and a half or sometimes two hours a day. So I get up in the morning, I take my dog for a walk. I usually work out, drink my coffee, and then I sit down and I do my, my brain work, the stuff that really needs my focus. And that leaves the afternoon to do all that other stuff that needs to, do I need to make calls to get something repaired? Do I need to order stuff? All those things that really don't require a lot of executive functioning from my brain. I leave that all for the afternoon. Now I'm self-employed, so I don't always have control over how that schedule goes. You know, sometimes if I get called in to host an NPR program, I'm going to be working or at least you know, near that microphone for most of the day. And then the schedule changes and I don't feel guilty about it. If there's something that has to get done, I will look at the schedule for the next day and say, Where, when can I do this? When's my best time? But I'm really trying to be as aware as possible of, of me. When am I at my best? Either physically, mentally, or whatever it is. When am I the most compassionate person I can be? What time of day is that? When am I the most efficient person I can be? I don't think very often we think about these things or think about ourselves that way. We just want our, us pushed ourselves to be the, in the ideal state of mind for whatever it is all the time, right? And we're going to force ourselves, tough love to, if we're not positive, we're going to force ourselves to be positive. But instead, just be aware that you're not always going to be positive. You're not always going to be energetic. You're not always going to have focus. So what are your good times of day? And then, you know, let it fall where it will over the course of your schedule. You're self-employed. I'm self-employed as well. I feel like I really enjoy being a business owner. There's actually a lot of positives and negatives to being a business owner. You got to deal with a lot more stuff than I did when I was employed. But talk to the person who is employed right now. Maybe they're working 40 hours and they say, yeah, you know, it would be great to work three to four hours a day of focus time. But I've got this job that keeps me going for 40 hours plus. What is some advice for that somebody's working in a, an employed situation where they maybe could guard their time a little better and, and get towards periods of time of doing nothing? The first thing I'd say is it's highly unlikely that you have a job that requires a full day of focus. Not even surgeons have that. Not even professors. That, that's probably not the case. There's plenty of things that you do that are associated with your work that don't require your, your executive functioning and all that focus. Things like making calls back, answering particular types of email. And you can sort your email into the ones that require you to really think and the ones that just did you check your calendar or something. And you, you need to protect that focus time. And by that, I say, understand that when you are ne really need focus, it means you need to do one thing at a time. You need to close out all your other tabs. You can't keep your inbox open that whole time. If that's your focus time, then focus. And you will be shocked at how quickly you can get things done when you really 
focus. We know through a whole series of clinical research studies that have happened all over the globe that distraction it really has an impact on your brain. For example, one study that was carried out in the UK found that if you leave your email inbox open on your computer all the time, it lowers your IQ by 10 to 12 points. So do one thing at a time during your focus time, one thing at a time. I would say all the time, but let's start this way. Don't put your phone down on your desk, put it away, close out all those tabs, except what you're working on. If somebody comes to talk to you, say, I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of this, is this urgent? Do I need to take care of this now? Or can I get right back to you? Protect that time. And again, you will find you get it done more quickly. You will probably have much fewer errors in the work that you do. It'll probably be more creative and more innovative, statistically speaking. And that lets you the rest of the time to, to, to do all those other things you have to do. And when you're doing all those other things, making the calls, making copies, whatever it is, then you can be a lot more relaxed about that. That's the point at which you can take breaks. You can walk around the building if you need to. Just schedule your day in a way that honors who you actually are, not who you want to be or think you are. And also implants like schedules in this time to relax and let your brain refresh. I like that. I, I've definitely caught myself quite a few times, you know, having the email box open and that dictated my entire day. Whatever email came in, I said, oh, oh, there's a new one. Oh, I got to handle that. And then the day finishes. I'm like, I feel like I didn't get anything done all day long. It's crazy. Yeah. And research shows that I think it's over 80% of emails are not at all important or urgent. Absolutely. And it's how we prioritize them, as you said. So, I mean, we talk a lot about personal finance on the show and and the power of money as a resource, but time is a much more important resource because it is finite and we don't have all of it. We've got 24 hours in a day, can't make more than that. So it's a really good point. Talk to us about how these changes that you made, Celeste, in your life have been positive for both your relationship with your son as well as your career. Well, I definitely have a lot more time for my son. You know, getting him through college wasn't not easy. I find that has been true, not just for my kid, but for a lot of this particular generation, the transition to college is sometimes rocky. And I was able to really invest that time and also really listen to him rather than make assumptions about what he should do, what I think he should do, what's best. I was really able to really hear him. That's number one. And it also meant that you know, I, I wasn't planning stuff just because I thought it was good because there was less time to do all those other activities. I was devoting less time to it. I was really strategic about it. And I made sure that it was something that not only I thought would be good, but that he actually thought he would enjoy. The other thing is, is in my career, you know, I remember, and I think this must have been late 2017, the moment when I was like, I simply cannot go on this way. I was, I was, still working a full-time job and doing all these speaking engagements. And I mean, the list was incredibly long and my son was still in high school. And I started turning down speaking gigs and some of them were extremely (laughs) well-paid. And in the past, I'd be like, oh my gosh, this person is offering me, you know, $15,000 for a 45 minute keynote. I can't turn that down. And I would find a way to do it. And I basically kill myself. So I began to turn them down and I said, okay, how much work do I put into each one of these? And so how many could I do a month? And when I began to turn them down, you know, a client would come to me and say, 
here's this opportunity. It's $20,000 speaking gig. And I'm say, no, I'm sorry. I don't have time. And they'd come back and say, what if we offered you 25? <laughs> and the, the speaking fees began to go up and they were willing to wait. I'm say, absolutely not. And they'd say, oh, can we book you now for next year? So in terms of my career, I'm not saying every part of my career was that, you know, clear <laughs> a trajectory, but frankly, it kind of has been. The more I value I put on my time, the more I protected my own time, the more valuable it became to other people. I think that's beautiful. I think that there is an opportunity for us all to look at our calendars and say, you know, what am I doing right now that doesn't move me towards the life that I want to have? And where can I start to take those small steps to dial things back. Celeste, there's somebody listening. I always like to think of this, this counter voice in a lot of my, my conversations with people. There's somebody listening and they're, and they're thinking, you know what, hustling, grinding, working harder. That's just ingrained in our culture, in our economy. So hard work, that's something to be proud of. And doing nothing, that's just plain lazy. What would you say to that person? Okay, I totally get it. I understand why you think that way. And there are some truths to it in that our society is, and especially our economy, but in frank, frankly, the entire society is built around honoring and respecting people who work really hard. That much is true. On the other hand, you're wrong. There is a very short period of time in which we believed this, that hard work made you better. You know, during the age, if you go and look at a, a building built in, say, 1700 and those elaborate churches and and government buildings we couldn't build those today because in those times pre-industrial revolution time was not money your craftsmanship was money it wasn't based on how many of something you could build it was based on how good you were at building that one thing and so it completely changed our entire view of what is valuable and what is what isn't this is recent. It doesn't fit. This philosophy doesn't fit biologically. It doesn't fit neurologically. It doesn't fit emotionally or evolutionarily. And frankly, it's not even good for our economy. It has been disastrous for our economy. Since we began living under this mindset, we see a record amount of economic inequality and economic inequality leads to economic instability of nations. And we are seeing that right now. So, you know, are, by following this, yes, you're fitting into the current culture and it might help you in the moment. But overall, we need a revolution of thought on this because it is not sustainable. It's, it's bad for you on almost every single measure that we have of well-being, including our economy. And I will say one more thing, actually two more data points here for you. The WHO came out with a massive study very, very, very recently in which they said that overworking, and that means working 50, 60 hours a week on a regular basis, is not correlated with early death. It causes early death. That's number one. And number two, the people who work longer hours, those excessive hours of 50, say 60 hours a week, experience for the most part, an increase in salary of only about 6%. Well, everybody, you heard it here first. If you want to live longer and potentially make some more money, make some time to do nothing. Celeste, if people are interested in enjoying this book, which I really enjoyed, everybody, I really enjoyed it. And it was eye-opening for me. Where should they go? Uh, they can go almost anywhere. I'd always recommend an independent bookstore, <laughs> support your independent bookstores, but you'll be able to find it pretty much anywhere that books are, books are sold. Excellent. If they want to connect with you outside of the book, where should they go, Celeste? 
My website is the best and the only social media I really use with any kind of capability is Twitter. So you can always find me there. Did you hear that, everybody? A one social media platform. That is a call for all of us, especially for Andy Hill with, what am I got, five? This is, this is insane. Celeste, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good one. A little bit of nothing sounds pretty nice to me right now. <laughs> Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Celeste Headley. Number one, take back your time. The world and our schedules can feel crazy at times. That's why it's incumbent on us, my friends, to take control. Do we need to do all of the things that are on our schedule? Can we say no thank you more than we do right now? What are some ways you can slowly but surely get more of your time back? This is your life. This is your time. Let's grab it back. Number two, talk to your kids about their schedule. If you're feeling the life overwhelm more than you'd like, it's possible your kids might be feeling that way as well. Are you running from swim practice to school to soccer to band practice to volunteer time to who knows what else and not allowing for more time to just relax? More days with no plans Maybe just what your family needs to get recentered and have more time for unstructured fun. Number three, protect your focus time. While it's ideal for us to work less and relax more, not everyone has a work schedule less than 40 hours per week. That's why it's even more important to create specialized focus time. Close all your browsers, stay out of email, put on those headphones with brown noise. That's my favorite hack there, brown noise. Put on those headphones and listen to some music or brown noise or white noise that blocks out the distractions and focus on the single task that you are set out to do in that moment. The constant distractions throughout the day will make it harder and harder for you to own more of your time. So fight back and say, this is my focus time and don't let anything interrupt it. It may feel laughable or difficult now, but over time, if you work hard enough, you can slowly but surely start to own more of your time. And those are my top three takeaways, everyone. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram and at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter and Facebook. And let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing our show today, to Weird Digital Marketing for supporting us on Instagram and YouTube, and so many other things, and Mandy Bird for her stellar writing on the blog, of course. Everyone, this content is not possible without these folks, so I thank them thoroughly, and I can't wait to keep working with them more. Hey, if you want to create some connections with like-minded people who are on a mission to improve their family's finances, well, I think you should join us in the Thriving Families Facebook group. This is a free Facebook group focused on helping young families thrive. Every week, we ask group members to share some cool family wins that are going on in their lives. And contributing group member Ryan shared this great news recently. 
celebrated a fifth grade graduation with a two-week end of summer vacation to New York City, to Philly, and to D.C. Past savings and following advice from groups such as this one has allowed us to have great experiences today in spite of current market conditions. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And yes, this is an excellent way to enjoy your financial hard work, your preparation, your planning. Talk about carving out the time for the important things, right? Ryan and his family scheduled time for a celebration, scheduled time for two weeks of summer travel because it was important to them. They prioritized their finances. They prioritized their calendars to what was most important for them. This win from Ryan and this conversation with Celeste is an important reminder for me to focus on what matters most. And for me, that's family first. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Ryan for sharing his family win with us? All right, Ryan, thank you so much. And thank you for contributing to the group for so long. I really appreciate it. If you're looking to make some connections with like-minded people and get inspired by their family wins like Ryan, please check us out at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That is our free Thriving Families Facebook group, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. I hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Jacqueline Friedman. I think people get really overwhelmed when they think about social change. They're like, this is such a big, intractable problem, and I'm just a person. And in reality, social change happens at the granular level. It just takes a lot of grains. If you want change, my friends, let's be the change. Carpe diem. 